when we started a cast of the past, we knew that there were going to be a couple of different video game series that throughout the years, we were going to play as many of those games as possible. One of the most obvious examples has got to be The Legend of Zelda. We talked about A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, uh, the regular version and DX, but there was always one Zelda game that we were looking at because when it was first announced, I felt like there were many different things that Nintendo did that upset many different gamers. And it is now time to sit here and talk about Wind Waker for both the GameCube and a couple of us also played the version on the Wii U, which is available in high definition. And we're going to be talking about that right now in another exciting edition of A Cast of the Past with a brand new episode available every single Sunday with yours truly, the, the basic Zelda gamer, uh, Juan Velas from Puerto Rico joining me, the the moderate level uh, Zelda gamer from London, Ontario, Keith Hamilton. W- would you say you're? Hello. I mean, I, I just assume you're the moderate Zelda guy here. I'm sorry. I mean, I've played a bunch of them and I've beaten a bunch of them, so yeah, I'll take moderate, but like not to the level of that I own like the Zelda encyclopedia. So I I don't know where that moderate level lies, if it lies in high rule or if it lies in low rule, but I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay, rule. but Keith, I, got, I, got a question. <laughs> I, I got a question for you though. Do you own okay. any kind of shield related to the Zelda games? No. Okay, then we got another I mean, guy here. I mean, I'm going to ask him, though. Uh, no, I you're don't. You're from Boston. You're from Boston. Your name is Ryan McNulty. Do you, by any chance, own any kind of Zelda shield? I do. I have a, a Hylian shield, and there's an ocarina behind me as well, and I have a Master Sword. So, needless so, yeah, to say... I'm a, I'm a little <laughs> bit of a nerd for Zelda. So, the Just pressure's on. Bit. So, the pressure's on, right? At least for you. I mean, Keith and I, we can, we can do whatever, but... I think that you're very excited. How excited are you that we're finally going to talk about a Wind Waker? I'm pretty excited. Wind Waker is definitely one of the more important games for me becoming a Zelda fan. And also, this is the Zelda game I've gone the longest without playing. And I've never, this was my first time playing the HD version for Wii U. So um, there's, it kind of brought a whole new perspective for me on this game. And uh, I've been excited to, to cover it for a while. Yes, and for everybody watching and listening, uh, please consider going on social media or even to our Discord at acastofthepast.com slash Discord, and you can let us know what do you think about Wind Waker, because at some point we were thinking maybe we do Ocarina of Time, right? I think that's like the, the obvious Zelda game that people want to get out of the way, and then after that we thought, well, maybe let's do Majora's Mask, but I actually want to start it off with uh, Keith here. How excited were you, you know, knowing all the different Zelda games out there? You and I didn't really have an experience with Wind Waker growing up. So playing it now in 2020, what was your excitement level at? It was very high for this game because like I mentioned, I've played a good majority of the Zelda games. I will say a good majority of the console Zelda games. I never really touched the handheld ones before playing uh, Link's Awakening in the archive, Uh, like the odd one here and there. I think I put a bunch of hours into Phantom Hourglass and that's about it. But Wind Waker was the one Zelda game for the consoles that I've never played because I didn't come to the GameCube until like very, very late in its life. And I mostly just used it as 
like a wrestling video game and Smash Brothers machine. So I had never touched Wind Waker, but you hear throughout the years just how it's one of the best games for the GameCube. So I was always excited about it and having enjoyed the other Zelda games that I've played, it, it made me very excited for it. And I'm really happy that we're covering it today. It's one of those games that for me, I always mentioned it looked it looked cute. But I just wasn't excited. Uh, I also played a game like Super Mario Sunshine. And I actually think Sunshine had a lot to do with me not being excited about this game. Because when I played Sunshine, I was thinking to myself, maybe the GameCube isn't for me. Because it just didn't really click with me, right? And then when I saw the cel-shaded graphics, I just tuned out. Now, in your case, Was it Ryan, the lunchbox handle? The lunchbox handle on the GameCube that really uh, sold <laughs> I it mean, for you. I mean, I I love the the uh, I, I own the uh, black GameCube. I love carrying that thing, which I never took my GameCube anywhere. Where did you take it? Why? Why? When did you have a reason to actually I, I use that handle? <laughs> honestly, I never understood what the handle was meant for just like grabbing it. I thought it's just like, well, that that that's kind of like a, a cute thing. If but. you had the screen that came with it. It was it was worth having the handle because you'd be carrying it around to places. But unless you had that, there was no reason to ever take it anywhere unless maybe to a friend's house. But yeah. So, Ryan, in your case, because you're definitely the biggest Zelda fan between the three of us, what was your take on on this game? Because for context, Wind Waker came out in 2003. The last or the previous uh, Zelda console game uh, was a Majora's Mask in 2000. So we have a couple of years, and then in between we got Oracle of Ages in 2001, Oracle of Seasons, uh, Link to the Past slash Four Swords in the GBA in 2002. So what was uh, Ryan's excitement level in 2003 being a fairly big uh, Zelda fan? It was pretty high because this was the first Zelda game where I was actually anticipating it. The other ones like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, I wasn't paying attention to like the gaming magazines or websites hearing the news and like, oh, a new Zelda game's coming out. But after playing, you know, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time on N64 and then getting a GameCube, there was a lot of games I was anticipating, you know, Mario Sunshine and then hearing reading news about Wind Waker. So I was I was fairly hyped for it. And the you know, the the cell shaded graphics definitely bummed me out at first. But I, I came to a point where I just want to play the next Zelda. So I didn't care. I need to make a quick redaction to what I said earlier about the handheld Zelda games because I played a crap load of A Link Between Worlds, so I do have more handheld experience than I previously stated. I mean, that that's a little bit more. Yeah, and that is a great game, my <laughs> God. I, I bought it because of you two, so I hope to someday be able to play it and maybe talk about it here, but I, w I feel like we need to get the elephant in the room only to then kick him right out because aside from the cell shaded graphics in this game there was another reason why a lot of people just honestly were not happy with it without having even played it and that's because we got to go back to space world 2000 which i even told both of these two guys it's either a nintendo event or a porn website i'm not sure please don't look that up but in space world 2000 ryan what happened regarding the next upcoming Zelda game for Nintendo's future console? So essentially, during this time, they showed this trailer basically to show off the capabilities of the GameCube. And in it, there was probably like a 10 second clip or maybe even less 
of a sword fight between Link and Ganondorf that everyone was freaking out over and getting super hyped. If you look back now, you know, some what are we, 17, uh, no, 20 years later yeah. for this, you're going to say, oh, that kind of looks like crap and it's not very impressive. And you look at um, Wind Waker base on GameCube, not even the HD version, you're going to be like, okay, Nintendo made the right call. But back then, those those were super impressive graphics. And that's when that little clip of that sword fight between Ganondorf and Link, which is basically just kind of a uh, upgraded version of like an, the Ocarina of Time encounter, it basically just stuck in so many kids' minds because... These, these types of things, although not super accessible, like the video, I don't know, you had to download it on Windows Media Player to even see it or something back then, but it stuck in it really a lot of people's minds, mama's. and that that is the game that they were expecting, and it's when they got early screenshots of what Wind Waker was actually going to look like, it definitely upset a lot of people. Yeah, and the art style and that um, direction is really the more important thing about, or more than how it looks now versus Wind Waker, because at the time, if you're showing off this tech demo and you're showing off a Zelda game of this is what is possible on the GameCube, and you are referencing one of Nintendo's best games of all time, Ocarina of Time, you are leading people to get very excited about that one thing. I sit here, I watched it today just to refresh my memory, still wanting that thing that they showed um, at Space World 2000, and... It, it's really unfortunate that, Is that it exists. Is that not Twilight Princess? <laughs> I mean, I mean, kind of, Because yes. Twilight Princess was essentially that response. It was the counter to like, Hey, 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 we're doing it. Just, just wait another yeah, generation. He, here's your game. Yeah. Hey, look, it's kind of like Ocarina Time. It's got the more realistic graphics and all that. And I would part, argue but... that you look at the GameCube version of both games and the Wind Waker versus Twilight Princess, Wind Waker graphics, I think, have aged far better. Oh, um, by and a you mile. can even look to uh, when the Wii U came out, they also showed a, a tech demo of like Link. It was basically based off of Twilight Princess. It was Link fighting like the big spider, like Armor Goma or whatever. And then we all know that ended up, you know, what do we actually get? Breath of the Wild, which art style looks very different than that demo that we got for the Wii U. So the the moral of the story, although people didn't get as up in arms about that because I think everyone learned their lessons of this is they know a tech demo when they see it now. It's much more common for people to watch E3 and things like that. But back then, I think people just didn't understand it was a tech demo and that it, it had nothing to do other than to just show the power of the GameCube. And here's the problem with what you said there, Ryan, where yes, we did get it. I guess, but unfortunately, in order to get there, you need to play through Twilight Princess. <laughs> oh, oh so, my goodness. Oh my we goodness. We kind of didn't at the same time. Stupid wolf. But, for, for, <laughs> but uh, we're not talking about Twilight, Twilight Princess. Princess. That's that's a, that's a, that is a discussion that. for yeah, another exactly. day. Exactly. We, we got to save that mm -hmm. for, uh, for a future episode there, but... Let's not, uh, once again, uh, let's just keep in mind that this game came out in 2003, so... It's worth pointing out that just to figure out, you know, as we played in 2020 in different versions, Keith played it on the GameCube, Ryan and I played the versions on the Wii U, 
And that will factor into account because it's not just a high-definition version of the game. There are some key differences, and Ryan is going to be the mediator that part because you actually play both versions, right? So you can fully Mm -hmm. bring that comparison. But it's also worth pointing out the year it came out because it is a year of a lot more dark, grittier games, right? This is a generation that people want, you know, the the kids are growing up. They want to play the adult game. So when when they think adult, they think of Toon Link. And uh, obviously that was very uh, heavy for many people to take in. But before we get to the overall impressions, Ryan, could you give us a summary of the story of Wind Waker? So to go quickly with the story, and then we can definitely get into the meat a little bit later. Um, Basically, this is really the true sequel to Ocarina of Time. You can look at Majora's Mask. Yes, it's the same Link, but that's very much like a side story. This is the real sequel to Ocarina of Time. Um, Essentially, there's two endings to Ocarina of Time, really. Uh, Once Ganondorf's defeated, Zelda sends Link back in time, and there's no Link in that time, right? So this is where the Wind Waker kind of takes over. There's no hero to, to save anyone, and Ganondorf eventually comes back. He was sealed away, and he eventually breaks out. And because there is no hero, he wreaks havoc over Hyrule and the people have no choice. So they they pray to the gods and the gods flood Hyrule. And then that's why there's these vast oceans and people just basically retreated to the mountaintops and hundreds of years pass. And we kind of come to where we are at the Wind Waker, where Ganondorf is trying to regain his power. So he's sending his bird uh, friend looking for young girls which is a little creepy but he's basically trying Going to find to Zelda Space World 2000 yeah. question he's, yeah he's trying to reclaim the triforce so he's looking for Zelda who would most likely have the triforce of wisdom and then <laughs> yes Keith thrown his jokes in but anyway I broke one sorry everybody yeah <laughs> Hugo right yeah, so what happens is this the the Helmorok king who's this big bird has captured this girl named Tetra and then Link is able to save her but in saving her Link's sister accidentally gets kidnapped instead of Tetra. Worst and then, birthday ever by the way. Yeah, it's Link's no birthday. Yeah. So he's trying to save his sister and everything kind of ensues in like him meeting Tetra and then he's able to acquire these the three pearls you need to get. He gets the master sword by going under to Hyrule and then eventually has to power it up to then defeat Ganon and Tetra is revealed to be Zelda. So that is long story short and then of course you have to defeat Ganon thick in Hyrule. Ganon cuz it's As thick always. Ganon in yeah. this oh, game. Yeah. That is Thick power Ganon. But it's yeah. a little bit of a more different Ganon, I would say. Mm-hmm. I will say I really appreciate the story of Zelda. Like, I am not somebody that goes in that deep into the lore and stuff. But just thinking about the Zelda franchise and how always on, like, the most macro scale, it is kind of the same simplistic story of there is there is a hero of time, there is a princess, and then there is an evil dude. And all of them have a piece of the Triforce. And then mm-hmm. you need to beat the evil dude 
and something involves something with Zelda ensues. You rescue her. You, something involves the Triforce. Like I really, really appreciate through, that through all of these iterations of the game and like fine details aside, I really like how it's always stayed true to that. Yeah, because. They- they have built it into and like Skyward Sword is kind of built on this lore of basically making it that this is essentially like a, a curse that has been destined to repeat itself over and over again. So if, you know, if an evil rises to power with the Triforce of Power, then there will be a Zelda and there will be a hero and like the events will keep recurring and they, they will be reincarnated and it will continue for all of time essentially. But the, the key thing here is that through most of this, it is actually the same Ganon. So this Ganondorf that we see is the same Ganondorf that's defeated at the end of Ocarina of Time. Just and put on a few pounds. Yeah. In he's between put on, the two. I mean, he lost a lot of his power so he can't do much. So he little, you know, he's, he's probably, a little bummed he's, out, man. Yeah, he might be. He might be. Uh, <laughs> you know, eating his sadness a little bit to, <laughs> to to make up for it. But it is definitely a more humbled Ganondorf that you meet in this game. He's not just this complete evil. He even talks a little bit about why he a lot of he he tries to have sympathy like oh he was just looking out for his people and he wanted to kind of you know he was jealous of what Hyrule had versus him in a desert with all of his people suffering so you get a little bit more than just I'm the evil bad guy that's going to take over of course he's still an evil bad guy that's going to take over but they give you a little bit more and 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 I do appreciate it and I, I will say this is actually my favorite story in all of the Zelda series because it does a little bit of building off of one of the best Zelda games ever and then just having a lot of fun characters and in my opinion the best Ganondorf character wise in any Zelda game yeah I personally was a really big fan of the story and I like it's one of those simple twists and it's so weird because we reviewed uh, Terminator Dark Fate and I think this and that movie have some similarities where the overall structure of what happens is the same as the other ones, right? Like here, he's not Link, he is somebody that's trying to be the hero, right? So they put on the outfit, but he plays exactly the same as you would expect in the other games. But the little twists that they do, mm-hmm. I like the well, fact he that- he is Link. But he's well, yeah, not but of like he's not of exactly. like a hero's lineage or anything. Exactly, like that. it's not it's not literally the 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 exact same character that we've seen in other games, right? It's like alternate timelines or or whatever the case. But what I like is the way they present him. He's just a kid. The fact that the game starts off in like his birthday, his uh, sister gets kidnapped. So he's like a victim of circumstance, but then throughout that he stumbles upon Titra. I really liked it because. It's, there's not like a whole lot of dialogue and I don't care about a whole lot of dialogue, but what is there, it means a lot more when you get to the Tower of the Gods and other parts of the game. And I actually wanted to start our dialogue here because usually with different games, we're very gameplay oriented. I mean, they are meant to be played, right? But so much of this game's appeal to me throughout it lies on the actual story. But I would actually like to start off with Ryan because... I know Keith and I are going to have a very different perspective about this game, playing it for the very first time. So in your case, was this your first time playing it, the the version on on Wii U, or first time finishing it? First time 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've I watched my roommate play through a lot of the Wii U version, and I, I maybe like messed around with it a little bit. But as far as like doing a full playthrough, this is the first time I've played the Wii U version. And what what did you think about it? Because I know there's a couple of differences, and we'll talk about that for for sure. There there is going to be a point where that is the conversation, but just. Having seen it like on a CRT back in the day, right, and then seeing it now widescreen, high definition, and playing a you know thing that you play before, what did you think about it? Uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. This was at one point my favorite Zelda game, but I've come to enjoy some other ones a little bit more. But it's been a like I said, it's been a long time since I've played this game. Um, I probably haven't played it all the way through since I owned a GameCube back in like 2005 or something like that. So it had been quite a long time and I've played a lot of other Zelda games since. So it's given me kind of a new perspective on the game. And I would say visually on the HD version, it's one of like the best looking games ever. It's just I I never felt so and I've definitely Zelda bias here being a huge fan, but like I've never like certain parts, especially like when you're on Outside Island in the beginning and it's really bright and sunny. Makes you feel good. You're just yeah, it's mm-hmm. just like a it just like um I don't know the word. I'm missing the word. But anyway, it looks incredible. Um, There's definitely still some things I wish they would have fixed. Like at the top of Outside Island, it's just kind of like a painted JPEG of trees like on the top of the mountain. I wish they would have like made 3D models of that. But whatever. There's So there's a few things that are really like aging it a teeny bit. But looks wise, it's great. Um, The dungeons... Definitely without, and we'll get into that more, but they were, some of them were a little bit faster than I remember them being. Overall, the game felt much faster, but I know the HD version definitely cleaned some things up. But um, I really, really enjoyed my time with it. And the HD version is 100% the way to go every single time. But um, yeah, I went through it a lot smoother than I expected and enjoyed it a lot. And that's a really tricky thing because one of the things that we do with this podcast is we try to play the most faithful or original version of a game, right? Because when you make a lot of changes, it's like, well, we like this, but we like the original one, right? Here's like a a different situation where the game is largely the same, but I haven't seen anybody say, oh, you don't play uh, the the HD version. You have to go back and play the GameCube one. So it said a lot to me that people just said, "Hey, Keith, let me tell we're you." Sorry. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. As somebody that played the GameCube version of this game, I will sit here and tell you that in 2020 and going onwards, the Wind Waker is a Wii U game. There is no question about <laughs> okay. it. So having said that, I mean, I feel like we it, it is time, my friends, to give Keith Hamilton the hammy ham. The floor, share us your general impressions uh, of Wind Waker. So general impressions wise, I feel like you need to have two conversations about Wind Waker. You can't just put it into one big impression where when you're talking about the visuals and the aesthetic of this game, then as far as I'm concerned, it is beautiful. Even on the GameCube version, while things aren't as crisp and sharp as they look just because you're dealing with different resolutions and scaling with uh, the Wii U versus the GameCube, the game's 
still looks amazing. The art style ages well. And it has to be the best looking GameCube game without question. Oh, I without feel. a doubt. Yeah, as far as going back and looking at GameCube stuff, it's, yeah, no Probably question. games like that, Beautiful Joe, those games with that aesthetic, mm-hmm. yeah. But the thing that I think puts this game above, like Beautiful Joe and this, uh, the shells, this, that's hard to say, the cell shaded style that they went with is the articulation and the way that the characters emote and bring the world to life. Like, it's not just the graphics that make Wind Waker look as good as they did, but the fact that they really leaned into this tune style and did like over the top animations and like over over the top facial expressions with the characters, especially the, my favorite part is when you're actually using the wind waker and just that little like concentrated look on Link's face as he's doing it. Like I love that little touch so much and the game is filled with that and it, I love it so much compared to the later um, styles of like a twilight princess, that yeah. dark edgier style of Zelda. I was actually really impressed with um, when you go to the island where there's the huge wind, like where the wind temple is that there's even like an animation for Link, like walking through heavy winds. So, like, yeah. Exactly. He has an expression and he puts his arm up and everything and i totally forgot about that and then that's the good part of this conversation now as far as the other half i think you need to separate all of that from the gameplay of wind waker and i imagine this is something that we're going to be in contention about having played the two different versions but to me Wind Waker was a game gameplay wise that kind of kept getting in its own way where it starts off very strong. Like the analogy that I want to have, and I'm going to rely on your football expertise on this one a little bit, Ryan, is was there any point in time where like in a big game, like a Super Bowl, there was a team that like they they had the game on lock and in the first half and then just blew it like they oh, just yeah. some somebody pooped the bed and then they just this one's especially it. great for me because it was a patriots game but in the super bowl a couple of years ago the falcons had a 28 to 3 lead in a, i want to say towards the end of the third quarter of the game and they blew it and the patriots came back and won well, so. as far as I'm concerned, the Legend of Zelda, the Wind Waker are the Atlanta Falcons of that game because it starts out so strong. Oh, it starts out so good. Like the the combat feels good. It's like it's very much like uh, Ocarina, but updated. You kind of have those new tools at your disposal and it feels a little crisper. The sailing feels good. Like I'm somebody that in real life loves boating. Like I have my boating license and um, a couple of years ago, one of my favorite things to do would be like to go out on the water and fish. I love that so much. For the one month that, one that the uh, water isn't frozen in Canada. Yeah, yeah. For, that, for that very, very brief time. So like I really liked the feel of the sailing in this game because they actually do a very good job of nailing it at the beginning of just being out on the water. It's it's calming. I found it relaxing where I was looking forward to it after leaving a dungeon and it was kind of like my cooldown period after going into a dungeon. 
And then somewhere around the middle, things change in that game where it really much, it really starts to feel like it's stepping on its own feet, where the pace gets thrown off. I think the exact point that I will, like, if I were to pinpoint it, it's around the time that the Zelda reveal happens, getting a little ahead of ourselves. Like, everything after that has a whole different feel to it, where even that, like, that fun, toony feeling kind of gets pushed to the wayside and it feels more like a traditional Zelda games things happen in the dungeons that I just did not like in those last few dungeons and just like having to stop and go through the different items Oh, we're not even going to get to that. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. I'm just like, let's get to Breathe. it. We're getting to it. <laughs> Breathe. So, yeah, just to finish my point, like, it, it, there's a there's a tonal shift in gameplay that happens at the second half of that game that just I bounced off of really hard and was not a, like, I did not like it, how it changed and how the pace changed and what it needed you to do to up the difficulty. It, I, it just didn't. Didn't resonate with me at all until the very end and it was a huge turnoff gameplay wise yeah for me i was man i haven't been torn so hard while i uh, play a game in my opinion for for a very long time because i played this game in the first like five hours i thought to myself why haven't i played this before like i was mm-hmm. just full on because all of you know, you know, when I mentioned I remember this, messaging you guys, like, why yeah, the yeah. hell have I never played Wind Waker? Yeah, yeah. And I played another hour, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and look, I, I do want to preface this. In no way a bad game. It's a great game. It's a great game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But I don't like it when a game has a very specific style and flow and pacing, and then just, boom, just a magically sharp turn Without any really, like, without any, any real prep, the game is largely a linear experience for the very first part. Like, you can kind of, you don't really have to think about what to do. And I'm not saying that I was okay with that because I knew it's like, hey, you sail in this game. So I knew going in, eventually you're going to, like, try to find things, right? I mean, they, they got to use these mechanics. So, but I thought the game did a very poor job at really getting you ready for that because the game goes from, well, you're really just going from point A to point B. Don't really bother exploring to no. Like now you're going to decide they throw the you right off the yeah. deep end. <laughs> I think they they held your hand very tightly at the beginning and then they just let go. And exactly. you're like, oh, what the hell? And I think the main part we're all talking about is after you do the Tower of the Gods and you get the Master Sword, then essentially they say, oh, here's the two temples you have to do. And then you go there and you don't have the items you need to get to them. But the problem is to get those two items you need, you need to get the fire and ice arrows, which they really don't tell you how to get. And I think that's the biggest problem because if you actually, if you talk to the fish, like you feed a fish at any um, point on the map and then it will mark it on the map and they'll usually tell you something. So if you feed the fish at those two islands, they actually tell you how you can get the item. They tell you where to go, essentially. But the problem is you need the fire and ice arrows. If they had been better at guiding you towards those, then I don't think it would have been as bad because then you would have had what you needed and then they would have guided you to then go to those two 
um, you know, fire and ice islands and you would have been fine. But because there's that item in between that you need, it it's where everyone gets lost. And I remember playing this as a kid and always like forgetting what to do and having to look it up because they really just kind of set you adrift. No pun intended. No, like in my case, honestly, I had to look up a walkthrough at that point because I was just thinking, hey, I mean, you have me going nonstop. There's no reason for me to think any of this would change. And something that, you know, I didn't beat Breath of the Wild, but I feel like this game does have some similarities with other ones, which is, you know what you need to do, right? So your sister gets kidnapped in one part of the game and it's about rescuing her, but you're not, you know, strong enough. And then you visit some locations in the game more than once. And I actually like that part of the game because it's like, hey, you want to become stronger, I just think that they go from a very linear way of going about it to then a very abstract one. And even after that, like even before we get to the Triforce part, right? So even in these other parts where, you know, you got to go to two different temples, but it's not as easy as walking up to those temples and going into them. You have to get other items. But where do you get those items? They're fairly vague. And I tried to do my research for a while thinking just like, am I missing something? Am I not? And there's a lot of hints. And I get that with a game like Zelda, in general, like uh, uh, um, adventuring out, like exploring is part of the game, right? I just think that once again, if they had prepared me a little bit more, if they had teased, it's like, you know, a Super Metroid. I, have, I haven't even played more than 30 minutes of that game. But if there's one thing that always intrigues me is that that game at the very beginning, you have everything, but then they quickly strip it away. But that lets me know, okay, okay, so... We're getting up to that point. That is the point of the game, right? Here, I felt like as much as I loved the visual presentation and the gameplay, because the sword play, you know, I love Ocarina of Time, and I feel like it's that, but a little bit well more paced. I think the camera is sometimes a challenge, depending on the situation. I love the the variety. You know, we, we're, we're going to talk about the, the boss fights and all of that eventually, but the game did lose me in that later part of the game and when you eventually get to the triforce part if i wasn't playing this for review there is no way this guy would have beaten this game like under no you could not have paid me because <laughs> i'm just like dude you're already abstract that's like oh, hey you hey, hey. No yeah idea. you don't even know how bad you the don't game version know. is <laughs> i it is it is the one example because i was like you where I used a guide up to that point because just the whole getting lost, trying to get to the two temples, and then I went to the Earth Temple first, and that Earth Temple just beat me down. Like, I... I'm not a big fan of like escort quests in video games. And I will argue that those last two temples in this game are some of the worst escort quests that I've ever played. I did not like them at all. So the game had just kind of just burned me out by get once I got to that point. But had I not, I am so thankful I used a guide just because I didn't even realize that the worst had yet to come at that <laughs> point. Yeah, I'll be honest. Back in the day, I pretty much always used a guide for the Triforce fetch quest. Um, I think we might as well just get into the GameCube and Wii U differences since yeah, we yeah. keep bringing it up. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so in the HD version, they give you this thing called the Incredible Chart. And that essentially tells you like where the Triforce charts are. And some of instead of changing, because in the GameCube version, you don't just get 
a Triforce piece by doing something. Every single Triforce piece needs a Triforce chart first. And, and not only all, that, not only that, they all have to be deciphered, right? And not only that, the deciphering costs a ton of rubies. How much did it cost in GameCube? It was, it was like 363 or something okay. like that. So it was yeah. about the same in the HD, but you only had to do that with You three. only had to do three versus yeah, you eight. Only... So there, the one being so thankful that I had this guide, there was a part of it like in the wind temple saying like, you want to stay right here and farm rubies for the next hour until you're over 3,000 rubies. Because I'm so thankful I had that at my disposal <laughs> because I could not imagine going through that and trying to farm the rubies in order to have enough to decipher all of those triforce pieces god help anybody that didn't do that yeah so you yeah you need to get eight triforce pieces the hd version speeds that up and gives you that incredible chart which basically tells you where all of them are the only thing they don't tell you is that you need that ghost ship um chart which you have to do to be able to get into the ghost ship um, which has a Triforce piece. So me having played the GameCube version multiple times back in the day, always using a guide and dreading that part, playing the HD version, I was like, oh, this is, I actually kind of like this quest. <laughs> um, like, because I've done that version enough times. And for me, like the way that they fixed it up, I actually found it to be really fun, but I also knew what I was getting into. Um, as, a, and I've done the worst version multiple times. Uh, other big differences. Um, talking about the dungeons, uh, particularly the Earth Temple is annoying with this, but when you have to keep playing the command melody over and over again, when you play it much like in Ocarina of Time, normally you'll do the, the command, you play the song yourself, and then you have to watch Link like wave the baton. But fortunately, in the HD version, for these scenarios, they cut out Link having to having to watch. Oh, wow, Link that's do it. okay. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed that, but once you played it yeah, yourself, time, it just immediately just, yeah. zoomed in. Uh, but yeah, Keith had to watch that every Keith, single I'm so time. Sorry. I'm because so the sorry. Earth, the Earth Temple is particularly bad with having to yeah. play that command yeah, melody a lot. With the puzzles, you're going, you're switching back and forth yeah. between the two characters a lot, trying to reflect the light. Uh, and, and oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a big one. And they do that in a lot of other places, too, where you play the baton that they cut out, Link redoing it. Um, another huge one, of course, is the Swift Sail, which is just the greatest thing ever. I am ever. genuinely <laughs> jealous that you guys got to use that so in this game. In the GameCube version of Wind Waker... If you want to sail somewhere, you have to change the direction of the wind to where you want to go. So, and if you need to go like diagonal, that means you might have to go up a few squares and then change the direction to go east. You're doing, and then 90, to go you're over. doing a 90 degree angle. You yeah, can't or, really do yeah, diagonal. Yeah, you can actually set it like southwest or in diagonal directions if you want to. But either way, every time you're moving, you have to change the direction of wind. Which the is Swift annoying. sail automatically the the wind will go where whichever way you're facing and it's faster so it, like the boat actually goes faster it is just the greatest does, thing does, does ever. your boat go fast keith <laughs> um it didn't but you know honestly the boat speed did not bother me in the game just because like i mentioned i loved the whole cooldown of sailing with the exception of the triforce quest because it got it gets quite tedious at that point but having to stop and then do the wind melody over and over again just because like okay i moved two blocks 
uh, south. Now I want to go east. So let's stop. Let's do it again. Oh, God, I screwed up the timing. Let's do it again. Let's sit here and conduct for a minute or two. And then having to do that multiple times, like it made me hate the part of the game I enjoyed the most, which was the sailing. And just having like all of those factors combined made it extremely tedious. And it's most of the reason why I joked that Wind Waker is a Wii U game now because if it fixes all of that stuff up then it is just bar like not even close you don't even play it for nostalgia reasons yeah that is the unless you're like a speed runner in the gamecube versions faster or whatever but um and now you guys might understand like a quick thing on speed runs one of the big holy grails for a long time in speed runs was called barrier skip so everyone knows under hyrule there's that big wall and mm-hmm. you can get right to Ganon's tower. So f- it took, it wasn't until maybe like a year and a half ago that people figured out how to glitch through that barrier. Really? It's always been oh, like wow. a holy grail speedrun thing. Cause obviously, if you can get through I there, mean, that's, yeah, most of that's, it. I mean, you can cut out a huge chunk of the game. So people did actually figure out how to get through that. It took a very long time, but um, that is a cool little, little uh, nugget of information. That is good to know, my friend. So with that, I would like to focus a little bit more on the gameplay because I do think there's a lot of positive things about it. Like for me, I really enjoyed, especially on on the Wii U. And I think, Ryan, this is a problem for me because I don't think anybody that hasn't played the Zelda games on the Wii U, I know it may seem stupidly simple, the whole fact that you look at the bottom screen and the item menu uh, is there. I don't think I could ever go back to that. And the fact that I know I have to because it's like, I mean, we have the Switch now, right? And uh, is Twilight Princess like that as well? I don't know. Yeah, Uh, Twilight Princess is the same. And really, yeah, the Wii U, it's why I'm really happy I own one because even if they come out with Switch ports for Twilight Princess and Wind Waker, I do think Wii U will be the definitive way to play those games. Yeah, because it is handy. it's so good because you don't have to pause. Like the first few times I paused out of habit, then I'm like, oh, okay, let me switch this. The first time I did it, I'm like, oh man, this just like, it's so fluid and switching to the different uh, weapons and you can actually maneuver the Wii U around. So if you want to aim with the, the bow and arrow, you can actually do that. And it was yeah, one of my I'm favorite good. things. No. on that i i hate that gyroscope part, yeah, stuff I, I didn't do the gyroscope part as much but then also in the hd version they did allow you to like when link's aiming his boomerang or his like um grappling hook he link can actually move around whereas you were stationary in, in the gamecube version oh really okay um it's a little bit hard to control unless you have put the item to your r um yeah. button so normally i would always leave the bow at R button because that just felt like the mo the one that felt best to use um, while moving around. Most of the time, the grappling hook, I I would just stay still anyway because it's not really like a combat weapon. You can use it in combat um, if you want to like snatch items and stuff like that, but uh, for the most part, it's really not a combat item. And Keith, in yeah, your it's, case, it's interesting because it's something I never really thought about having because. I just assume that's a Zelda thing because I'm trying to remember, do they do that in the 3DS games or at least because I know in Phantom Hourglass, the bottom screen was just the map. 
Um, and the, well, the top. So in Phantom Hourglass, yeah, the top screen's the map because you have the style. You control yeah, 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 yeah. That's, the style. Yeah, yeah. So um, you can, yeah, you have the map in Phantom Hourglass at the top. So it is very nice and it works really well for like 3DS games. Um, but, but it's yeah. just something that like I don't know it. I'm ignorant in knowing if I want it or not because I just oh, it's playing really this. Good. I, I mean, never really thought Have you played of Ocarina of Time on 3DS? No, I haven't. I oh, haven't played yeah, it. It's really any nice to have 3DS um, remakes. Yeah, it's super nice to have the map at the bottom. And then yeah. also they added like extra item slots and like the Ocarina has a dedicated thing. I also like that they in the HD version, they made the baton a dedicated thing on the D-pad. Uh, so you didn't have to have yeah, just pressing up. Yeah, there was uh, so there was another. <laughs> there's so many quality of life stuff. Don't play the GameCube version, people. Just yeah. don't. Just throw it out. <laughs> yeah, because like riot. you said before, with like oh, a lot of times we like to play like the original experience, but when it comes to a thing where nothing, it, I feel nothing is really lost on the experience. Like yeah, if you want to be a hard ass and do the OG Triforce quest, go for it. But. I don't think you're missing anything. You gain nothing. Yeah, you only exactly. lose I don't, by doing yeah, that. <laughs> I don't think you gain anything important and it would only just make you dislike the game more. <laughs> Case in point with Keith. Exactly. But what did what did you like about uh, the game the most, Keith, from a gameplay perspective, whether it be a specific item? You know, you got the grappling hook, you got a couple different things. Uh, what was your favorite thing about it? The most... For the most part, I would say the bosses were my favorite part of the game. Like, yes, they're very much, and I specify even the in the dungeons that I wasn't a big fan of, I enjoyed the bosses in those as well. It's mostly falls into the Zelda trope of, oh, you get the item and that's what you use to beat the boss with. But I'm a big fan of the designs of the bosses and how how large they were for the most part. Like, you really felt like you were taking out some epic creature at the end of this dungeon. And they delivered quite well with that all the way up to the final uh, boss fight with Ganondorf. So... Uh, yeah, for the most part, I would say the boss fight and the design. I lean towards the early bosses as um, my favorites more than the uh, the later bosses because I like they were cool. But hey, the ghost that turns into a bunch of or the bunch of ghosts that turn into a ghost. He's We've kind of seen that before, and he kind of sucks. But like the um, the giant spider that you have to uh, knock the ceiling down onto the Andros looking thing with the two hands like those were all very cool designs and they were yeah awesome something that i like about that is that i think a lot of the bosses are not once you figure out the pattern they are super easy but they do have that initial period of just like well what do you what what do you do with this because it's like i have a i have a hook right but what do you do and mm -hmm. um, you know what to use but you just have to figure out exactly. how to use it but I do appreciate it, and I'm thinking about this now. I didn't necessarily like when you get to the to the later part of the game. They have this uh, boss 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 rush part before you get to Ganon. So you have to beat four bosses before you open up yet another door. And initially, I'm like, okay, are you just like padding the game out? But then once I realized how easy it was for me to beat them, I understood that was that was the purpose. Like I think the whole purpose is, hey. 
you have the master sword, you have conquered all of this, so you should not struggle. And I didn't. And I felt awesome about it. And yeah, because you, you got your swords a lot stronger, especially with the, the first two bosses, because you still have exactly. your master sword, even though you're in like this back in time, black and white scenery. So they take way less hits. So you feel more powerful. Yeah, but so it's like kind that. of a cheap way to increase the power. I'm I'm not a big fan of that, and especially like it, it's kind of uh, it's spawned in the Mega Man games where you have to do the boss rush before you get to Doctor Wily, and I always feel like that's a cheap way to go about it. And in the case of Wind Waker. I'm pretty sure that the developers have like straight out said that th- that was literally just a way to pad out the game, oh, that yeah. and the Master Sword quest. Well, yeah, there's or, um, uh, the Triforce quest, not the Master yeah, Sword quest. Yeah, um, and I mean, we can should we just I might as well just jump into it now. And the thing sure. is, uh, th- they were I think under a lot of uh, they ran out of time essentially, so there was a lot that was cut from the game, and like this is one of the Zelda games that actually has the least amount of dungeons of of any game. If you really think about it, there's really, I mean, there's kind of seven there's kind of kind of, yeah, but it's mo it feels mostly like you have five proper dungeons in the game and then you have your, um, dragon roost cavern. You have the forbidden woods. Then you have the tower of the gods and then you have the the Earth Temple and the Wind Temple. And then Ganon's Tower is not really like a proper dungeon. And then people also mention, what's the other one? Um, isn't there? Isn't it like the Skull oh, Labyrinth oh, the or Forsaken, something? And then the Forsaken Fortress, Fortress also yeah. isn't really a dungeon. Oh, yeah. And you visit it twice, but yeah. Would you consider like the enemy levels? What what was it called? Like the Skull Cavern where you... It was part of the Triforce quest where the, you have to um, go down the... Savage oh, Labyrinth. so annoying. Yeah, the Savage Labyrinth. Yeah, it's not really like a dungeon either. And usually in other Zelda games like Twilight Princess also have that. Um it's yeah i wouldn't really consider it a dungeon but it is kind of like a enemy that's more like an enemy rush mode i guess or whatever Mm -hmm. uh so yeah a lot of people there's been a lot of speculation of hey what what were the missing done because they actually said outright that there was two dungeons that were cut from the game okay and a lot of people have been asked like hey what were those dungeons and when the hd remake was coming out people were there was actually an interview and they were asking hey like are you going to put those two missing dungeons in the game and they basically said uh well we we can't really do that because a lot of those ideas were used in phantom hourglass twilight princess and some of it might have ended up in skyward sword um so that caused all the speculation like what were those dungeons so the most obvious place for where one of those dungeons could have went i think a lot of people would think is um with like the goddess pearl um the Lineru one or whatever where jaboon just gives it to you and you're kind of like I didn't really do a dungeon for this pearl. Boy, you just spoke another language there. Well, you know, when you go, when you go to Great Fish Isle. Oh, I know what you mean. But when you started saying LaRue's Jaboos. (laughs) When you went to the place and they give you the thing. Ryan, we are simple men. You give us the thing to progress. So yeah, Jaboon, who's like Jabu Jabu from uh, Ocarina, you know, the big fish dude. So he just gives you the pearl. Where you had normally done the other dungeons to get one of these, and they just give it to you. So, yeah. Wait, I, I just got to pause. Ryan's got to feel like, 
<laughs> Can I have any other co-hosts for this episode? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to say these names and be like, of course. Yeah. Mr. Jaru Zikabu. It's like, or so, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you about weird Star Wars creatures exactly. all day. So I get it, but Yeah. You know. Either way. So that was one obvious point a lot of people think that there was supposed to be like a inside Jabu Jabu Jabu's belly like you had in Ocarina that there was supposed to be something similar because people found like audio files, more audio files of like Jaboon when they um, data mine the game. So that's one speculation. There was also speculation that the ghost ship was supposed to be a full on dungeon and Evidence by, like I said, Anuma, who is the director of the game, said some of it found its way into Phantom Hourglass. And in Phantom Hourglass, the ghost ship is actually a dungeon. Um, and that then, makes a lot of sense because yeah. when when they said ghost ship and the gamer to like to find it, you know, I'm going through the day night cycle. So I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be just like badass. I'm yeah, like, wait a minute, that was room. it? That was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, so it, Phantom Hourglass would be cool. Like, if you consider still having to find the ghost map chart and then like yeah. using that to find a yeah. dungeon, that would that would be pretty awesome. So they actually, yeah, the ghost ship they made like a central part of Phantom Hourglass. Um, so they obviously took that idea and took it to the next level in that game. And then other kind of speculations: there was supposed to be an island called Stovepipe Island that was going to have kind of like Dragon Roost, this kind of volcano thing at the top, and people there was going to be like a town at the bottom, and that could be part of that could have been like the Goron mines that ended up in Twilight Princess. So either way, you can definitely feel like there's a really low dungeon count. And I think that definitely hurt the game. And it's why they had to use things like the Triforce quest to pad things out. Um, another cool thing that was supposed to happen, I guess, was there were supposed to be more places you could go underwater in Hyrule, um, which I thought would have been really cool. There were supposed to be like these fishermen and you would go underwater. And then when you wanted to come back up, you would like grab the hook and then a fisherman will okay. pull you back up. Um, so I thought that would have been really cool because I do feel like the underwater part was really underutilized and that's one of my favorite kind of aspects of the game. So yeah, um, those were kind of the, the key things. Going back to the story stuff, there's a reveal that happens at the end of that game where they talk about like Hyrule being underwater and that it's like, at least myself kind of put the one and one together. They're like, oh, it's probably some sunken city that's like long gone. But eventually you go to Hyrule underwater and it is just like in a pristine condition ocarina of time looking hyrule and it is awesome that reveal that was oh, that yeah. was a moment in that game like okay you're I wanted to see more back. of it just like from a purely Pe nostalgic yeah, a lot of people, I'm like oh yeah a lot i really do wish you could see more because you when you go outside and you kind of like look around you're like oh i wish i could explore more of this but yeah that is my favorite, one of my favorite moments in any Zelda game is when you go to Hyrule and everything's like frozen in black and white. And then you pull the Master Sword. And for people who've played A Link to the Past, it starts to play like this more sad version of the Hyrule Castle theme, mm -hmm. um, which I just thought was like the coolest thing ever. Because even back in 2003, I didn't beat A Link to the Past, but I knew the Hyrule Castle music, which I thought was like one of my favorite pieces of music from that game. So to have that like nostalgia and everything, I thought was one of the, the coolest moments in the game. 
I want to expand on that a little bit and that and the overall sound design in this game as well, because maybe I'm wrong, but to me it was just dripping in Zelda nostalgia, the sound in this game, mm-hmm. like having the, uh, you know, your traditional Zelda music and every time you go into um, like a, a building, yeah, pretty much a building, it has that like... Din- and just like having that and resonating with that even to some of the enemy sound designs like the wizards in that game use the same kind of like three tone magic sound as the uh the not ganon in uh a link to the past a zamorak or whatever his name um agonim Aghanim, that's it. <laughs> close, close. That's that's Hearthstone. Sorry, he just got a balance update in Battlegrounds today. I'm thinking of that wizard. But like, just all of those little touches, they don't really like hit you over the head with it by doing subtle things like create or like tweaking a, a version of an old song to make it fit more. They really oh, don't. They really, really execute it. Yeah, and they execute it so you, well. So. At, in the outside island, first of all, I think this is my favorite soundtrack. I think this is the best soundtrack in any Zelda game. And mm-hmm. it's really you can, good. You can fight me on that one. Um, I will not, actually. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> I, won't. I agree. Well, it's like totally. anyone, any Zelda fans out there. Um, because I think it is, it's kind of like a, a concept album, right? Where um, you make an album and it's kind of has a central theme to it. I feel like Wind Waker, all the music really fits together and it feels like one concept of like you know the ocean pirates it all kind of fits into one theme whereas like ocarina of time has a great soundtrack but i feel like it's kind of all over the place like you get gerudo valley which is kind of like a, you know a much different theme than like kokiri for you know the lost woods or, or things like that but i feel like all the music in this game like feels very together and part of one concept um but like the theme on outset has little hints of the music from Kokiri Forest from Ocarina of Time, kind of like the first area you start out in. And then if you go to Windfall Island, there's a little piece of the music that sounds like um, Kakariko Village because um, they're kind of like the mirrored, you know, it's kind of like the Kakariko Village of this game. And it's cool now knowing that this game is a a sequel to Ocarina of Time because it's like this uh, mirror world or this alternate universe of the game that's kind of playing on the music of it being an alternate version of those songs. Yeah, in this Deku tree that's in the game is supposed to be that same Deku tree that after you beat the forest temple in Ocarina, like a new Deku tree sprouts. So he had to get tall as... Oh, yeah, huh. No kidding. He had to get tall AF to avoid all the water. But yeah, and also like the Kukiri, the children, you know, the forest children, they become like the Koroks that you see. And that's why when you're playing like the Earth Temple music, you see like um, the ghost is like the... uh, you know, children from like Ocarina, basically. Um, yeah. So some of these things, like they evolved in Wind Waker. Um, that's why, like, the Zora, the fish people, somehow evolved into bird people. So think about this, right? You have fish people, you flood everything. So there's all this water, and the fish become birds. Um, it kind of got make, the short end of the deck. Kind of makes, there. yeah, kind of makes no sense. But there you go. Sure. It's a thing. (laughs) That is a thing. You know, something that I'm just connecting now 
This game and, and to me, Super Mario Galaxy have a lot of similarities. Super Mario Galaxy, I always heard people saying, I love this game, one of the best of all time. But I'm like, but, but it's like tiny planets or whatever the hell. It's got to be stupid and dumb and I don't get it. Then I play Galaxy for like an hour. I'm like, okay, my bad. It's an amazing game. With this, I always looked at the uh, the gameplay footage and I'm like, it's very interesting because it's like these tiny islands, right? It's literally islands that you can walk all of it for in like 10 seconds on average, right? Some of the other ones are larger, the main ones, etc. But the charm that each one of the islands has, like every island has a purpose. Even as, as tiny as they are, there's a reason that island is there for, for the most part, right? And I feel like that's what this game gets right. It's that I never went to a place thinking, well, I guess they needed to fill up the space with something, so it's there. Yeah, some. Yeah, there's some that are definitely a little on the weaker side. Like, there's a couple islands, I think it's literally just to get, like, one heart piece. And other than that, it, it has no purpose. Um, it, is. it is. It's a very big map for, you know, for 2003, this is an extremely big map. And it definitely seems like some of the islands, they were kind of running out of ideas. But like you said, for the most part, there's something to do at every island. They struck gold with the fact that they made it an ocean game because the ocean is supposed to feel vast. It's supposed to feel empty and you're supposed you're not supposed to run into everything like at a moment's notice. You're supposed to see something on the horizon and then make yeah. that your destination. And definitely credit GameCube version with the impressive like draw distances with the islands oh, yeah. and things like that. Um, I think they had to do some, there's like a little bit of a trick to how they did that, um, where I don't think the actual island would load in until you were much closer. It was probably it's more... It's probably like a yeah, JPEG. Yeah, yeah it's probably just like a silhouette JPEG until you get close enough and then it loads in. But still, like, it's, it, you don't notice it. And uh, I think that that part, you know, and I'm happy, Keith, I didn't know, like, uh, your, your, your love for, like, boating and all that part. I liked the fact that every place wasn't next to each other because then why do the sailing at all? If every place was right next to each other, just like get a car, <laughs> do like any other game. Like he's Grand he, Theft Zelda. Exactly. He yeah. had a motorcycle in the DLC for Breath of the Wild, right? Something like that. So, yeah, he did. So I appreciated the fact that there was this downtime where I was able to just like look around, listen to the music. And I think that this is the, the Nintendo nostalgia talking and also just like, Nintendo, the I know the seal of quality was nothing but like a PR thing, just so you know games seem like they're better than they are. But something that Nintendo games, like the ones that they make, is that you listen to a soundtrack and you look at the game and you feel happy. And anytime that I was selling in the game, literally nothing was happening. Not one thing. I'm not fighting anything up until later, right? Then you get to use like the bombs and I actually like doing that. And I wish they would have done a little bit more with that. But the fact that one of my favorite parts of the game is when nothing was happening says a whole lot about the game. So I'd actually like to give you, Ryan, a bit of a forum. Having played it twice, what would you say is your least favorite thing about Wind Waker, whether it be just because you've played it or you really do think it's just a, a poor part of the game? Um. So I would say... And I talked a bit about this on um, back when we did the Zelda tier list. But for me, the weakest part of this game is actually the dungeons. 
Um, when you compare it to other Zelda games, I feel like this game did almost everything right, except for obviously the Triforce fetch quest, which I think they vastly improved, but still it's not the greatest thing in the world. But other than that, it's not even the low dungeon count. I just don't feel like the dungeon the dungeons in this game are as memorable or as fun as some of the other um, Zelda game dungeons. I think the Wind Temple is probably, in my opinion, the best dungeon in in this game because, um, yeah, the other ones just don't stand out to me. And I think, you know, looking at a game like Twilight Princess, um, I don't like Twilight Princess as much as I like Wind Waker, but the dungeons in Twilight Princess are a lot better than Wind Waker. That's the one thing Twilight Princess does right, if it does anything right, is dungeons. Um, and obviously, Ocarina dungeons are almost all of them are great. Um, yeah, to me, it was, I just felt like no dungeon stands out to me as like, oh, this is an awesome dungeon. Cause you can think of like, oh, Forest Temple, Ocarina of Time, or, uh, Snow Peak Ruins, Twilight Princess, um, you know, Majora's Mask, Stone Tower Temple, but Wind Waker, it's like, yeah, those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Zelda fans will know what I'm talking about, but, um, <laughs> but when you go like, oh, Wind Waker, best dungeon, you're like, I don't know, maybe the Wind Temple? What was your favorite dungeon, Keith? I honestly agree with Ryan where, and this could be a um, like a uh, kind of side effect of the fact that I played through this game in uh, just a couple of days. I poop socked this one real hard. <laughs> yeah, you but, did. Man, and how many days did you play beat this game? Holy crap. Uh, four. Uh, it was four four days, start to finish. Four and, and that long last day was just straight days. up collecting Triforce pieces or the charts. Yep. It was not great, yeah. but <laughs> like I I can't really tell you specific things from dungeons about whether I liked it or I disliked it. Like they kind of bleed together for me. And I and yes, I understand the aesthetics are different, but and the things that you do in them are different. But in my brain, they are separated to before the Zelda reveal and after the Zelda reveal. As far as things that I enjoyed, like there are pieces of those first three that I really enjoyed like I like the gliding in the um, in the forbidden forest I thought like the wind and gliding puzzles and that were really cool could I tell you I liked the dungeon more than the other two probably not just because they all felt very samey to me so I'm, I'm with Ryan on that one where there's nothing that's really a giant standout beyond the boss fights at the end of them I thought those were all excellent it yeah, I'm actually, well, yeah, like having played a ton of different Zelda games, none of the boss fights I found were particularly amazing except for um, Puppet Ganon and, and Ganondorf. I think that's one of my favorite Yeah, Ganondorf, sequences. like, I haven't played them all, but Ganondorf is like top two boss fights in a Zelda yeah. game. It is so cool. Yeah, that, that whole sequence is just one of my favorite sequences ever. And then you stab him in the goddamn oh, yeah. forehead. It yeah, is. It's so Link epic. Link plays like, no games at so the end of like, that. So you're just like, what the hell? Because I think, you know, it's a different Gandorf. Maybe he's not as powerful or whatever. So he's, he's still got this magic. So he creates this weird ass puppet thing. And the first two phases are pretty easy. And then this snake just kicks the living hell out of you. And you got to try your best to to snipe him i watched juan no. suffering and no. he, he actually <laughs> Juan, if it makes you feel better once i got to that third 
part of the third hit on the snake, he was whooping. He was whooping my ass because he was going crazy. Yeah, he um, beat one the thing hell you can do me. that I didn't want to tell you on, but uh, I know if you smack him with your sword, he pauses for a very yeah. brief moment. But if you hit him with a bomb, he stalls for slightly longer and gives you Ooh. more of a chance. Uh, but he was so erratic the last hit that. I was just like hoping I just had to snipe them like old school, basically. I did feel and, a very large adrenaline rush in that part. And, yeah. And I it's think honestly it was, the harder um, fight, in my and, opinion. And I'm happy it was, it was a more difficult fight because honestly, and I think that something that's very interesting with this review is that I feel like if we were to do a lot of bullet points for what we're talking about the game... There's not a lot of there's not a lot of things that we're saying are amazing about it. I think it's that the presentation and mm-hmm. the world well, I will is say, so well built. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, the story, the visuals, the music, to me, the set pieces are mm-hmm. all amazing. That's why I was saying at the yeah. beginning, you kind of need to have two conversations about this game. Yeah, exactly. But then when it comes down to, like I said, I mean, even most of the gameplay through most of the game, like I said, is great. The sword fighting and the combat's all great. It's just the dungeons and some of the other sequences that are the the weaker parts. But yeah, set pieces, like to me, nothing is cooler than when you're fighting Ganondorf and literally... The ocean. him. Well, I was going to say even. But even before (laughs) that, even before that, Hyrule's literally flooding in. So you have all this water flooding in behind you, like all the water is coming down. Like it's just the most epic thing ever. And then, yeah, you stab him in the forehead. And to me, like it's epic because until breath of the wild kind of got all funky with everything there's two games that come after wind waker and as far as we ever knew the master sword is still at the bottom of the ocean stuck in ganondorf's head like that (laughs) is where like in that timeline that is where the master sword still is like to this day except who knows about breath of the wild I love the fact that like you pull the master sword out of a stone in the middle of that game and then you turn Ganondorf into that stone <laughs> yeah. and you just put it pretty right much. back I in mean, his skull. I mean, it would be pretty epic if they made a game where you had to go down there and get the master oh, sword out of his awesome head. But I feel like... Don't do feel, it. Don't, don't yeah. do this to yourself, Ryan. <laughs> I feel like you're asking for trouble though for that. So... I have a question. So as somebody that never like, I never finished Twilight Princess and I never beat Skyward Sword. Is the Master Sword not in those games then? It it is. in Ganondorf? No. Well, okay. So you're asking for it. This is a timeline question, Keith. Yeah. I know what I've just gotten myself into, but I need to know. Here we go. And I have a a follow-up question, but go ahead. All right. The answer to Skyward Sword is very easy. Skyward Sword canonically is the very first game in the time in any timeline it's the earliest in in the history so the skyward sword is actually about crafting the master sword that is okay. the story. um as far as twilight princess goes like i said ocarina of time has two endings to it and when you beat ganon at the end of ocarina of time zelda sends you back in time to live out your childhood so wind waker is that time, is that era where Ganondorf, Ganon was killed and sealed away and there's no link and time moves on and Wind Waker happens. Twilight Princess is when you're, is um, Link's childhood 
Majora's Mask happens, and then eventually Twilight Princess happens. So okay. the Master Sword is still in the Temple of Time, um, although now it's like the ruins of it. And yeah, it goes from there, basically. Okay, interesting. And one more Zelda general question, mm-hmm. because it's something that I thought a lot about playing it, and I'm even more curious now that I know your thoughts on the dungeons. Mm-hmm. Because of where, like, this game came out in 2003, yeah. and between here and Breath of the Wild, there were a lot of other Zelda games. And what was it, like 15 years between the two? When did the Zelda dungeon fatigue start really playing in? Because I feel like it it had to be around Wind Waker time that it kind of like Zelda fell into a formula that Breath of the Wild broke. And that was one of the highest praises that Breath of the Wild had. So... Wind Waker was where they started to really be, like I said, handholdy, and they made things a lot easier. Enemies did a lot less damage in this game compared to um, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and Twilight Princess was just as kind of simple with that. So I think people were starting around Twilight Princess to be like, okay, you're making the games too easy, and then it hit like a breaking point at Skyward Sword. Uh, where especially the game even starts you off with like six hearts as opposed to three hearts and enemies didn't really hit for much. So, um, yeah, people definitely noticed it around Wind Waker in the Twilight Princess era and then it reached the breaking point at Skyward Sword, which is why Breath of the Wild is such like a counter to that. Mm-hmm. Breath okay. of fresh air. Indeed. A wild world. It opened. It expands. Wow. You went there. You, I, I just, I just want to point out, Ryan sounds so sex, so sexy when he talks Zelda. <laughs> I know amazing. it's just such just like, confidence. He's so dreamy. Like, yeah, I, dreamy. I, I like these are the. I don't often, you know, my girlfriend doesn't want to hear me talk about Zelda all day. So the, these are my chances <laughs> to talk about this kind of stuff. It's like you know, stop talking like about the Korok buddy. seeds, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I used to live for the the timeline stuff before they revealed it. I'd be on the like the forums every day, being like, "Well, what about Four Swords Adventures? How does this fit into everything?" <laughs> you know? Now I got a question for both of you. We we did a Zelda tier list. By we, I mean both of you. Uh, that's available <laughs> on the YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash a cast of the past, and also on the podcast archives, which all of you lovely people can leave a five star review if you enjoy all of these episodes. And on set tier list, both of you, and I remember there was a there was a bit of a debate here on the A tier. Uh, I have three games. I'm not going to spoil the rest for those that haven't checked that out. But on the A tier, we have three games: Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, Wind Waker. And I feel like that is a very interesting thing to look at now <laughs> yeah, i really uh, i really went with you on that one decisions were pretty much there. my tier list yeah, okay. yeah. you guys Ryan's just brought in tier comments list featuring yeah. keith with a possible appearance from juan was those three games ryan and then keith having played this uh, wii u version now and beaten it ryan would you say it's still an a tier game for you would you bump it up or down I think it is still an A tier game because the story, like I said, story, visuals, music, gameplay itself is all phenomenal. Where, and basically, my A tier was a great game, 
that has flaws. And like I said, the dungeons and the Triforce quest are really where the game is on the weaker side. And then you look at games, like I said, Twilight Princess, that's a game where I'd say, okay, the story is pretty good, but the... But it's a slog and there's a lot of slow, like pacing is the biggest problem in Twilight Princess, but it has some dungeons that are some of my favorite dungeons of any Zelda. So I have to give it credit there. And Majora's Mask, one of my favorite stories, has the best side content of any Zelda, has one dungeon that's really amazing. And I love the whole time Groundhog's Day mechanic of it. So um, like all those games, like I said, great but flawed and i think that is where wind waker stands for me is like i have no problem going back and replaying this game because i love it so much but i recognize that the dungeons aren't the greatest earth temple was definitely one where i thought i liked it more than i did having replayed it i used to you know as a kid i used to like the earth temple and dislike the wind temple and now that is completely flipped because playing that command you have to play that command melody so many times and keith had to watch link swing that baton Damn. so many more times oh, than me and juan had to watch it shit. and that makes oh, me a little awful. happy it makes me a little happy that keith had to suffer more than us thanks buddy. <laughs> but anyway yeah i i still keep it where it is yeah i have to agree where i would consider this game a great flawed game where it, it especially thinking about other zeldas that we put in the s tier it's it doesn't hang with those but i still think that this game is worth a play just make sure that you are playing the proper version of this game on the wii u there's we said it a hundred times i'll say it once more don't play the gamecube there's no reason to play the gamecube and hearing those changes and the differences in experience that we had i would consider this game a very good but flawed game you have amazing things that they did with the art director with the storytelling with the music and even the gameplay to some extent it's just that it overstays its welcome a little bit and that's where i consider the flaw in it where they did things to improve it in the um in the uh wii u version of it in the hd version but you can't put a band-aid on something so fundamentally flawed as the master uh i keep saying the master sword the the triforce quest quest. and then fix it that way it's something that you would need to redo from the ground up and you just can't do that with a remake so it has its flaws but overall still a great game yeah obviously i'm not gonna i was gonna say one quick little tidbit of it's definitely a game if you're like me and you love to replay zelda games a lot It's definitely a game that I feel like you'll enjoy more on a second playthrough. It's one of those things, kind of like Ocarina. Once you know those stupid little quirks, like, oh, in Ocarina, I got to find the hookshot in the graveyard, right? A lot of people get lost there. But it's one of those things, once you know those stupid things, like where to get the fire and ice arrows, it's much more fun on a second playthrough, especially on the HD version where they cleaned up the Triforce quest. Like, I feel like, one, if you were to replay the game, you wouldn't mind the Triforce quest as much because you know what to do yeah, now yeah. and you know what to expect. If anything, my biggest takeaway from this game is it almost makes me want to play Breath of the Wild because it's like I played a couple of hours of Breath of the Wild. Girlfriend, that's what I'm doing the second we stop recording because <laughs> I th- that is what this you game got, did You got the for Zelda me. kick now. Yeah, Yeah, and I need to go, because I love Breath of the Wild. I mean, we've talked about it in previous episodes. It's our game of the decade. So, I just want to go back and play Breath of the Wild now. Okay, then, okay. I'm going to, because 
I guarantee you, if I'm thinking this and you're thinking this, somebody listening it or watching is maybe thinking it. Say I uh, I started playing Breath of the Wild, but I dropped off. Would you recommend I turn it on and continue or turn it on and start over? I am going to take the route of turning it on and starting over. I mean, you do you, but the thing with Breath of the Wild is like you are... It's a game, and I love this about it. It's so open that you can literally just go straight to Calamity Ganon if you want to. So you are only hindered by your own pace of exploration, right? So if you want to start over and get to where you were, you it, pace is the only thing that's stopping you from doing that. There's not a lot of story stuff in it, and that's okay in Breath of the Wild for what they built. So... I think I don't see any reason to just kind of pick up where you left off, especially with those early shrines and kind of getting your feet yeah. back. The tutorial, under you. if you if you played it before, the tutorial will not take you long. You can just go immediately to those four shrines you need to do, and you'll be off the the tutorial island in like no time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but I'm probably going to be going back to it. Don't think I'm going to maybe get to the end of it, but I do just do it. I mean, beat Calamity I mean, hey, Ganon. I mean, it it's could for, the second. It, the dungeons in that game you can you can do in like five minutes. Yeah, and the second that you start thinking like oh, I might put this down, just go to the final boss, give it a shot. The worst thing that could happen is you can't do it, and you, you put your it down anyway. It. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's true. That's true. I mean, who knows? Who knows? And, and the good thing is, like, I'll just stream it. Because I know if I stream a Zelda game, Ryan is legally, contractually obligated to show up. So I'm like, okay, I'm lost. Hey, everybody, I'm live on Twitch. Ryan! Ryan, what the hell do I do yeah, here, man? Uh, I don't know how to like, do this. I'm playing Zelda and I'm like sitting there like, oh, you oh. just missed it. You just missed it. I'm like, just look up, man. The grappling hook thing is right there. Just look mm-hmm. up. You, you passed it by like five times. <laughs> That's part of it. That's part of it. Yeah. But final question for Mr. McNulty. Uh, I feel like, and we, we talked about this before we hit the record, we've talked about a lot of great games in this podcast. Now that we've had this conversation, how do you feel about our discussion about the waking of the winds? I, I feel pretty good about it. Like I said, I was really happy to replay because this had been the Zelda game I'd gone the longest without playing. And I was really glad that you guys were kind of coming in completely cold like not knowing uh what this game was or what it was about and glad to see you enjoyed it you know i feel like your opinions kind of fell pretty much where i thought they would be essentially i love the first half of the game the second half not so much it's pretty much the the consensus but like you know like we've all said it does some things so well that you can't help but love and appreciate a lot of what it does 100%. 100%. No, I'm happy that we covered this game. It was very, very high on the things I need to playlist, and I'm happy this podcast gave me the outlet to do so. And if you're listening and you haven't, and you've made it this far and you haven't played Wind Waker, first of all, thank you. Second of all, give it a try. It is Pick very much U worth your time. Wait, exactly. Well, we got, we got the 35th anniversary coming out. If you don't have a Wii U... Well, just, just go to one, wait go to Player One on YouTube, and then you'll end up buying one. But <laughs> or you can wait, <laughs> or you can wait for the the thirty fifth anniversary of Zelda next year, where who knows what we're gonna get. 
I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's some good stuff, but very happy with uh, we did this episode. And everybody watching and listening, don't forget that if you want to just connect with everybody, that's part of the awesome community. You can head on over to acastofthepast.com slash discord. And also, if you haven't, check out uh, one of our previous episodes. Ryan and I closed off the year talking about some of our favorite gaming pickups. I feel like it's a very casual conversation that can just give you a pretty good look of, you know, what are some of our pickups this year? And it'll be very interesting what the three of us as gamers, whether it be what something we talk about on the podcast or even we don't, like, what do we play next year, right? I feel like everybody's going through a phase, and now with the PS5 and Series X and everything out there, I think that I'm just going to stick with my Wii U and PS3. So up until next time, that has been it for another exciting edition of a cast to the past. Now, Keith, what was the first word you, you thought of when you knew you had to get all those uh, charts there? Uh, I can't say it. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite F word. Fun. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah, frick. (laughs)